Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it, as always. This week, I'm interviewing Morgan Higgins. Now, Morgan is an entertainer extraordinaire. We we cover so much from her early days to exactly where she is now. Um, we talk about her, you know, passion for for the stage and and musicals. About how she started not being super super into it, and her mom not wanting to take her to to uh, auditions anymore because she wasn't taking it seriously. To you know, going to to college for it. Uh, we talk about her time during high school when she did start kind of buckling down, and she was in a, a Nickelodeon movie. She was in a TV series on Amazon. Uh, we talk about that movie. We talk about how she was on a um, a singing competition sh- show called uh, Rising Star, which was kind of a a competition back in 2014 with with maybe kind of the early days of, of American Idol. Uh, it, uh, it lasted one season, so not, uh, not as big, but we'll talk about that experience, uh, being on that Nickelodeon show, uh, movie, all, all this amazing stuff. Uh, but the, the, the bulk of the conversation um, is about a Broadway play that she is currently in called Bad Cinderella. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, just realizing that dream, you know, going from being somebody who, um, you know, worked their entire life to, to get on Broadway, lives in New York, went to, uh, you know, numerous upon numerous auditions and, and finally booking something like that. And not just any play, but one, um, you know, created by Andrew Lloyd Webber, which, of course, is is one of the most famous uh, Broadway people out there. So that has to be magical and and a, a new play. So originating a part, uh, just uh, that that all has to be super, super magical. Um, you know, I'll give some more information about the play um, at the the end. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was such a, an awesome conversation. One thing I will tell you is, you know, if you've listened to this podcast enough times, you know, occasionally I do something weird with my with my sound. Um, you know, I don't plug in the the microphone. Something crazy happens. Normally, I'm able to to edit things perfectly fine, and you know, it, it uh, it's not perfect, but it, it works. Well, this time I don't know what I did, um, but. Uh, it really sounded like I was in the next room over uh, sewing her costumes as uh, as we were talking. I, I sounded super muffled. I don't think the the uh, the microphone was plugged in, and uh, but there was this clicking, which which was a, a bridge too far. So uh, I'm going to sound a little interesting in this because I actually uh, saved you guys the hassle of of the the clicking and the and the weird sounds. You know the 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 ones that were savageable. You'll you'll hear maybe a little bit of that, uh, but most of the questions I actually um, spent all the time of uh, of re-recording myself asking the questions. So you're welcome for that because that certainly <laughs> certainly took some time, but it would have been maddening any other way. And and Morgan deserves uh, the absolute best because she was an amazing amazing interview. So uh, between. Nickelodeon shows, 
being on a, a singing reality show and now originating a part on Broadway. So much covered this week and, and such an amazing person we talked to. And I just realized I didn't even talk in this intro about how I even found her. And that was I found her as a because she was a backup singer in Farm Aid for John Mellencamp. I forgot about that one. Um, that's that's how I originally saw her and then realized that she was also uh, going to be in John Mellencamp's play. We'll talk all about that, but of course I'm from Indiana, so John Mellencamp holds a, a special place in my heart. So just another thing to talk about. So we've got a lot to cover. This is an amazing conversation. Here is Morgan Higgins. I'm here today with Morgan Higgins. Miss Higgins, how are you? I am great. How are you today? I'm good. Just first, I guess the easiest and the hardest question at the same time, introduce yourself. All right. Um, Well, my name is Morgan Higgins. I am originally from California. I live in New York now. Um, I am a actor, singer, model, occasional songwriter, piano player, um, (laughs) all of the above. Um, And I'm currently in Bad Cinderella on Broadway. Yeah, and I, I wondered how you introduced yourself because you have so much. We're going to get into here in a little bit where I I found you at, but I want to, I guess, first ask you, how did you originally get started with, with entertainment? Um, so I, uh, when I was growing up, my parents would, both, neither of my parents sing and neither of them are performers, but my dad plays the drums and my mom plays piano. And they both really loved that old classic musical theater, Rodgers and Hammerstein, you know, even like Frank Sinatra, Barbara Streisand, who aren't like really musical theater people, but just like that classic singy sound. And so I just grew up on like Sound of Music or Frank Sinatra's albums. And I kind of got into music that way. And then I also started playing piano when I was like five, I think. So I started playing classical piano and I honestly never really thought about being a singer or being a performer. I just did piano because I was good at it. And I I don't want to say I liked it because when you're a kid and people make you do piano, it's like you don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got into the arts that way. And then in first grade, I ended up getting the lead in our play. It was Little Red Riding Hood and I was Little Red Riding Hood. And I kind of just got the performance bug through that. But it's honestly, it's, and I don't mean to say it's a hard career, but it is, it's not for the faint of heart. And so my parents weren't like pushing me to do it. It was kind of just like something I did along with tennis and piano and, and like soccer. Um, I was a pretty well-rounded kid in that way. And the older I got, the more like the arts kind of pulled my attention. And, um, when I was 12, I switched, I think 12, I don't know. When do you start sixth grade? 12? Something like that. Sounds 11, right. 11. When I was 11, I switched schools and this new school had like a bigger performing arts program. And so they did real shows, not just like, I went to a, a, a Lutheran school growing up. So like all the shows were like religious skewed, um, which is like fine. It's just, they weren't like real musicals. And so in sixth grade, we did Tom Sawyer and I was like, it's the adventures of Tom Sawyer. And oh my gosh, I was, I was obsessed. And, um, everyone at the school was like, oh my God, you can really like think. And I, I, I don't know. I didn't, I did it for fun. And so somebody knew some agent or manager in LA and, um, they introduced me to her. And so that was my first manager. I think her name was Lori. 
Uh, if you're listening to this, Lori, <laughs> sorry if I butchered your name. It was a long time ago. And um, I went on a couple commercial auditions, but what, it's just really hard when you don't live in LA to like go on auditions. So I went on a couple of commercial auditions, didn't get anything. And then I got an agent, a, like a bigger agent, um, because I think someone saw me somewhere and they were like, oh, and I was with that agent from 12 to 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Sorry. I'm going all over the place here. I'm trying to give you the quick, the quick, quick and easy, but I was with that agent all through high school. Um, and that was great. It's just like, again, when you are like trying to be a normal kid and I wasn't a hundred percent sure I like wanted to do this because it was, it is really difficult. And so many people, so many people are really good when they're young. And then the older you get and the more distractions there are, the, the harder it becomes because, you know, you realize that it's, it's fun, but it's still like a job, Mm -hmm. um, which we'll probably touch on like later as I get into the show. Um, but people fall off because it's hard. And so, um, I wasn't really sure I wanted to do it, but I still did it in school. Um, and I would go on auditions, but it was kind of like pulling teeth for me to go or like get me to memorize stuff. I remember like getting in a couple of arguments with my mom because she was like, I'm not going to drive you two hours if you're not going to be ready, um, which is fair. Um, two hours one way uh, in traffic. Mm. And um, so my senior year, so I, I played a variety of like roles in, in high school. I was Joe in Little Women. I was Eponine in Les Mis. I was Marie in The Sound of Music. So I did do roles and I was the lead. So I like knew I could do it. Um, but this my senior year, I was um, a Jimmy. I I did Eponine and I ended up winning Best Actress at the Macy Awards, which is a regional theater awards, kind of like the Tony, like a mini version of the like Tonys, but like for kids, like for kids. Mm-hmm. And then if you won the Macy's in our region and there's a couple of programs around the country that do this, I think now they're like 68. When I did it, there were like 24. Um you go to the Jimmy's and the Jimmy's is a week in New York city, um, doing musical theater, doing your role and being kind of, um, it was a week, it was basically a week intensive. Um, and at the end of the week, you auditioned for all of these casting directors, um, and you performed on Broadway. It was like, you learned a big number. And like, if you were a finalist, you did a solo. So I ended up being a finalist and I was like, yeah, Sorry, I totally went on a tangent there. There's so much in there that I skipped, um, uh, including Rising Star and the Nickelodeon uh, movies. But I was, yeah, I- well, I'm not going to let you skip those because I'm going to ask you about that. But I want to ask you first, because you talked about how it was kind of like pulling teeth. You had like a million things pulling you in very different directions. But when did you start taking it seriously? When did you think, hey, if I you know, buckle down, I do what I need to do, I can make a career out of this? Was it? after you know these awards that you talk about was it some other time when did you start taking it really seriously so when i when i when i got rising star i was like okay this is a real thing this is not like my school play and that was really the first time i was like okay like people like people like that aren't my family and friends think that i'm good and that was a mo- that was a cool moment now now in terms of like the pop music thing we can like talk about that um I wasn't a hundred percent sure that was the direction I like wanted to go in. And, and, um, 
I think especially when you're an artist and you're trying to develop yourself as a pop singer, you really have to know what you want so that you can speak up about yourself and with producers and writers and actually like have a direction that you're going in. Um, but that experience kind of gave me the confidence to go, no, no, I can do this. I literally just need to like work harder. So then, you know, the next thing was the Nickelodeon movie. Um, and that was simultaneous. That was all my junior, senior year of high school. So in all of that, I was auditioning for colleges and I really wanted to go to NYU because like it was New York city and it was NYU Tisch and you would be like in the city every day. You could probably go to auditions, which I learned later on. You could not go to auditions during school. Um, but I did anyway. Hmm. Uh, so uh, it was it was also getting into NYU, but I was never really a big like this is going to sound so bad. I was never a big practicer, which I wish I was because I would be a lot better now um, than I was than I am if I had taken especially the vocal craft like more seriously mm-hmm. um, because I was kind of I don't want to say I was ne- like born with a voice, but I really did not start seriously seriously like warming up every day and like training um until I got to NYU and I had vocal coaches along the way but it was like I would go like once or I would go like once every like three months and I would never warm up and like before a show I would never warm up so it was really when I got into school and you know when I realized okay if I if I want to do this like all these kids are really talented you know if I want to do this like it really does need to be my life and I did a um, symphony concert with a woman named Susan Egan. If you don't know who she is, she was the original Belle on Broadway. She's the voice of Megan Hercules. Um, she, I think, is a character on Steven Universe. I don't watch that show, so I may start. Listeners out there, I don't know. But yeah. but she, um, she was Megan Hercules. So if you've seen Hercules, you know who she is. Um, and she said to me before our concert, she said, you know, you're really good, but you like need to understand that this is a job and you need to like eat, sleep and breathe this because there's going to come a time when like, if you make it to Broadway, like you're going to have to sustain yourself eight shows a week, 365 days a year. And it's not just one performance and you, you practice that much so that when you get on the stage, you're ready and you don't have to think about, oh my gosh, where am I like putting my voice or, oh my gosh, what's that line? Or, oh my gosh, you know, where am I moving? Because you've done it so many times and you're, you're constantly in the mindset. Um, And so that really changed that conversation, like really changed my frame of mind. There was also a teacher in school. He was one of my ballet teachers and I am not a, I don't want to say I'm not a strong dancer, but I was in the lowest level of ballet. And he said, not directly to me, but to the class, he said, if you're not doing it every day, there is somebody who is your type, exactly, vocally, physically, whatever, attitude wise, who is, and like, they're going to make it and you're not. And that's the truth. Those two moments, and they were later in my like, growing up, I guess you could say, um, really shaped me. They were after I graduated high school. So, Well, it's really good you have those people in your life, because I've talked to, you know, a lot of athletes other people in acting and it's not always a good thing to have that innate talent because you know it allows you to coast by for a long time just on that talents where eventually you rise high enough and and get to that level where you know that innate talent without the practice and that's where a lot of those people with the natural talent kind of burn out and flame out because they're not used to that practice so 
I'm really happy that you had those people in your corner to kind of show you early on that practice was was really really important. So I want to now I want to talk about Rising Star. It's not something that I had ever heard of before. I think that it was in 2014, 2015. Is that right? Uh, yeah, uh, 2014. Yes, because I was 16 years old. Yeah, and it was it, so it was on ABC. Really strange format where you know there was these <laughs> quote unquote judges, but they really were there just to be a, a small percentage of your vote because the whole vote really was just the viewers. So right. two things. One, how is that? Because I feel like that's a, just a popularity contest if it's just the viewers. Second, what was it like being on a show that, I mean, it really was just, I mean, it was only one season, 10 episodes. It was back when I think all the networks were trying to chase American Idol and just sure. throw every talent show they could on, on the air. So even American Idol was the Wild West the first few years. I've talked to a few people from then. What was it like being on a show in the early days that really didn't last? Um, and then just, just everything about it. I feel like I can just throw it at you. You're, you're good enough at explaining things. <laughs> Am I? Okay, good. I, I thank you because I I'm, I'm, feel like I'm such a rambler. I get it from my dad. Sorry, dad. Um, <laughs> so Rising Star, um, it was, so I think, what was cool about it was the this aspect that people could vote live in live time and raise the wall. And so it wasn't like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I haven't watched American Idol in literally 10 years, but I know there is a portion where you can vote like at home, but but it, it more helps the vote or there are specific shows where it, it's the audience vote or something like it's an audience save or whatever. This was cool because it was in live real time and you did not know if you were going to make it. I think for me, it was definitely, I went into it expecting that it was going to be a learning experience, not that I was going to win because it was my first ever thing. I learned a lot about myself and about like how people Again, I said this a, a little bit earlier, but you as an artist, you really have to make sure you know who you are. And I think my biggest thing in that show was like, I wanted to be like, I was still figure I wanted to sing and act. I like didn't really care about being a pop star. And I think like all of these shows, they all kind of gear more towards that pop sound. And that's that's great. And it's awesome. The other thing about me is like, I I am very bubbly and and I have like, fun energy but the stuff I like to sing is like I like to sing like Adele or I like to sing like like depressing stuff um <laughs> and um something that like everyone kept telling me on the show was like no one's going to take you seriously if you sing that like you need to sing something up tempo like you need a blah 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 and when you're 16 like yeah my mom was there because like, she had to be but it's easy to kind of get pushed around when you're that young and you don't have a clear idea of who you are. I know this isn't really answering a bunch about the show, but this is what my experience was. Everyone on the show was great. Like every, all the like producers and all of the, like the crew was amazing. Um, I think like when I think about that show, the biggest issue I think they probably had, and I'm not sure cause I wasn't in the like behind the scenes rooms is in the show was adapted, I believe from a show in Israel and it's called, it was called rising star in Israel. And when you do a show like that, it's easier to do it in one time zone. And like Israel has one time zone and our and America has four time zones. So the issue became like, okay, the East coast voters are voting live. What about the rest? And then if everyone else is just a save, like how is that different from, from American idol, you know, or, or anything else? And so I think, 
quite frankly, the market was oversaturated. The voice had done something cool and different. They were trying to be different, but it wasn't like different enough to hit. And like when the market is oversaturated, like the market's oversaturated, right? It's like, it's like trying to become a food Instagram blogger right now. Like everyone is a food Instagram blogger. Right. Yeah. And that, that is what happened. You know, I, I did the research for you when it comes to the demise of rising star. And it was because like the, the West coast, you know, they were moving things around in order to have it live. And it was coming on at 6 PM in California where people are just getting home from work. They're not thinking, Oh yeah, I need to go vote on this show. So let's you're from California. Your whole friend group isn't going to be voting for you. So yeah, they try to still make it live, but no one's watching a show at 6 PM. So that was the problem. And yeah, I think that was, you know, it just ate the format did not work for, for the U S the concept was cool. And, and everyone was great. The guy who won is like, did you watch any of the episodes? It's okay if you didn't, or the guy who won is like, so amazing. So he is incredible. Like I will send you a link to a couple of his performances because he's unbelievable. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it had some star power. I know Brad Paisley and Ludacris were two of the people. Who was the, who, who was the third Kesha, person? It was Kesha. Oh, it was Kesha. There you go. Did you guys, did you have very much interaction with, with these people? I know the voice has them as coaches, but American Idol people really never even see the judges except for when they're taping. Kind of like, yeah, it's really when they, we were taping. I mean, uh, everyone was very gracious. In fact, uh, Brad, I had asked him to like write a letter of rec for me for NYU. And he did. He, oh. he did. Um, and that was really cool because it's Brad Paisley. <laughs> yeah, no, that is awesome. That is awesome. So, I mean, you, you already gave away the spoiler. If somebody hasn't watched, still got it on the DVR from 2014, but you didn't, you didn't win. You, I did not win. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately I did not. Yeah. But let's uh, before we kind of move into to present day, let's, let's briefly talk about the, the Nickelodeon film. Okay, cool. So that was a trip. Um, I, gosh, I was a senior in high school I auditioned for it and I had no, I didn't, it was Nickelodeon. I was like, I'm not going to get this. Mm. So originally I actually went in for the girl that played the, um, the, my co-star. I originally was in for that role. The entire audition process, I was in for that role. The chemistry read callbacks, I think it was. The producers were like, and at this point, like it was the uh, producers of Nickelodeon. There were like, I think four, four people in each role left. And I went in and they were like, can you read for the cowgirl? And I was like, right now? And so I literally like got the sides and I like looked at the sides and then I went back in 10 minutes later and I read for the cowgirl and they let all the other girls, uh, Texas Jane is the character's name. And they let all the other girls go. And I thought it was so interesting. And this is actually very important for people to hear if they're listening to me. Um, every other girl that was in for the cowgirl was a, was a redhead with like super fair skin. Um, and nobody can see me on this, but I'm not a redhead and I don't have fair skin. Um, I was, would have never seen myself in that part. Like, cause she, I think they were looking for like a Jesse and toy story kind of like character. And I am so opposite of that. I mean, the other character his name was Luna and she was an American Indian. And like, it just visually, I fit that more. And it it's, goes to show that they they don't know at what they don't know until they see it. Um, and I think that's really hard as an actor to kind of grasp 
because they're figuring it out just as much as you are. I mean, we could talk about bad Cinderella Um, (laughs) and um, they're just trying to make a great show. And um, it's a lot of the time more about the energy I think you bring into the room than like even the the lines um, or, you know. And so I went in, I read for Texas Jane. They let all the other girls go who looked nothing like me. And um, I ended up getting the part. It was crazy. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be on Nickelodeon. Uh, That's so weird. Um, We shot the movie in Spain. Tell us what the movie is called. Oh, the movie. I'm so sorry. It's called Lost in the West. Lost in the West. And it's like two boys time travel to the Wild West. And they meet these two girls. One of them is Texas Jane. The other is Luna. And they're best friends. And so they end up in this town and they have to solve, you know, this like, wild west like mystery and get back to the it's kind of like a back to the future meets wild west basically and um movie and so we shot it in spain we were there for three months it was so wild we were in a little tiny town called almeria and it's on the coast if you know spain it's about two hours northeast of malaga which is like a bigger town but this town was like so small there was like one road in and out and they used to they used to shoot all of the old wild west movies there like a lot of the old like clint eastwood movies there so that was cool but i was there for three months it was great um it was it was it was just a it was a movie series there were three of them and they aired on nickelodeon memorial day week memorial day weekend i think of uh, 2016, I think is when they aired. So that was really cool. Um, didn't go anywhere, but like, you never know where these things are going to go. Um, so yeah. That's awesome. And I feel like it's even more, you know, I guess flattering for you is they kind of reshape the movie for your part, because I've talked to other child stars before, and that was not the case that, you know, some of them have said they really were just looking for a certain look and they taught us the acting along the way. But with you, they saw something that they really, you know, they, they wanted in the movie, even though it wasn't necessarily what uh, they originally thought the character would look like, they still cast you. So I think that's really amazing. Uh, I haven't seen the movie. So one thing I wonder is, did you have to, I guess, have a, a, a different accent? I mean, you're a lot of things, but I don't think you sound like a, like a Texas chain. No, I, I did. So we did have a dialect coach on set um, and we did a Texan accent where we attempted to. Um, <laughs> um, and that was cool because, you know, like the Southern dialects are, there's a lot of different dialects. Um, and I don't think people like know that when they're first like thinking about a Southern dialect, it's like, oh, this is a Southern dialect, but you have Mississippi, which is like a little more like sweet. And then you have like Texan, which is like a little like sharper it's very it's quite interesting so so that was um that was new and that was cool and I think it was okay I don't know I I you know what I hate going back and watching it I really do it's funny sometimes my parents will be like oh my god we're watching the movie tonight I'm like why it's on Amazon now so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check them out I definitely am gonna have to check them out how was your overall experience with Nickelodeon I've, I've talked to some big stars from Nickelodeon in in the 90s and uh it wasn't so great let's just put it that way but you know 2016 is a long way from 1997 so did you have a good experience overall so i honestly i did um it was i think it was a little different because like we were i believe at the time 
new uh Nickelodeon like Europe was operating the the movie um and we had it was a little I don't want to say Nickelodeon was non-union but like I think I don't know if the network is still non-union but at the time we shot the film it was non-union which just means that the regulations like aren't as you know strict because there's no union to enforce them um for me in all honesty it was my first movie it was my first like gig so I was just kind of excited to be there um (laughs) I didn't really have a reference point for you know good or bad or ugly I kind of just was like well call me to set at 3 a.m I don't care I'll be there in hair and makeup (laughs) um that's what they that's maybe what they want (laughs) yeah so so for me my experience was was fine um everyone was great and I wasn't on like a reoccur. I wasn't a character in a reoccurring TV show. So I, I would imagine it would be different. It's also being in the U S is different. Like, I think it's just like, there were probably different factors. Um, but things probably have also changed since 97. I know the industry has changed a lot, even in the last five years. So. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about your career when it comes to star, what was it? Rising star. I'm about to say star search. I'm going way far back rising star and then these nickelodeon movies and both of them are like i haven't seen that i haven't seen that and people are wondering what the heck what have you seen what i, I don't know why why do you have her on what have you seen here's what i've seen it's not even as cool as some of the other things you have done and that was i'm from indiana so of course that is the home of john mellencamp and i you know i was looking at john mellencamp concert videos on youtube kind of going down that rabbit hole and then i see you as a backup singer and you know then i i looked looked you up because you know we'll talk about it again here in a little bit but about how you kind of just are smiling you're having a good time back there so i looked you up i also saw that hey you also were going to be in i guess a a mellencamp play that was maybe supposed to take place during covid Uh, i don't know exactly but i I see that you've got all these things going on with john mellencamp between the backups dance or excuse me backup singer you wouldn't have been a backup dancer we talked about that earlier backup singer the play what's your connection with john mellencamp how do you how do you know our uh, our boy from seymour indiana i love john um (laughs) he's great uh so some people wouldn't say that he's a little gruff (laughs) He's a little grouchy. Sorry. Again, John, if you're listening, but you know this, I'd say this to your face. Um, no, he is a, a very nice guy. He's very blunt. Um, he, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he's a character, right? Oh, yeah. But, but, um, so my senior year of college, I was auditioning like a madman. Um, at this point I had like, I had, an, I have a new agent at this point. Um, and she submitted me for a project called the Untitled John Mellencamp Musical. Mm-hmm. And I knew who John Mellencamp was. I knew Jack and Diane and Hurt So Good. And and my dad went to school at Purdue. So like, you know, um, he 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 is a big John Mellencamp fan. Um, you pink houses, you, you name them. There's a lot of hits. Um, and I think like people are like surprised when they're like, oh, my God, that's John Mellencamp song. It is. He has so many hits. So 
it was a musical at that point. It had not been titled. Um, it was very much in development. And we can talk about what a, a show in development means if you really care and want to get into it. Because it's very, uh, getting to Broadway is, is a very long process. So um, basically it was a, a new role. It was Diane in the untitled John Mellencamp musical. And it was a, a 29 hour reading, which basically means that you take a week and you workshop a script and you have a small performance at the end. And um, it's just for like the internal creative team and potentially some outside producers and investors is like basically what happens at a 29 hour reading. And so I went in, I auditioned. I think they said they wanted you to sing like two contrasting country, like country folk pop rock songs or something. It was like, a because, you know, his, his sound is not like country, but it's not like pop, but it's not rock. It's kind of, I would say it's definitely more like rock, like rock, rock country. I don't know. So I sang. Folk was a good word to throw in there. Folk, folk. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I sang um, before she, of He Cheats by Carrie Underwood and Shallow from A Star is Born. Because even though Shallow is like not really, it's, it's Lady Gaga, but like she has a twang to her voice. And so I sang those two and I got called back and then I got called back again. And then I met Andy, who is is amazing. I don't know if you know who he is. He's like the lead. I don't think he's the lead guitarist. He just kind of does everything mm. um, with the band. Um, he arranges, he like kind of acts as like the MD. Um, and I went through the audition process and then we had a chemistry read and John was there for the chemistry read and he like didn't talk to anybody. <laughs> um, he kind of just came in, looked at us and left. Um, and then about a week or two later, they called me and told me that I got it. And that was in 2019. And we had the the reading in September of 2019. And it, it went great. And John was in the room. And like, that's when we, we started to get to know him. But it wasn't, it really wasn't that much because it was just a week. And like, we were working on the script and and the, the songs and, and everything and the story. And um, he was just kind of there to like, make sure that it sounded, the arrangement sounded the way, you know, he wanted them to. And and it made sense with the story and the energy. And and then they had told us that there was going to be a longer workshop of the musical in March of 2020. Um, March 17th, 2020 was when the workshop was supposed to start. It was supposed to be, I think, two or three weeks. And it was supposed to be the next phase of the project. Instead of us just like standing and singing at stands, we were going to like have some blocking. We were going to have a little choreo um, so that we could put up more of a full presentation for potential like, you know, investors and producers and whatnot. And, and then COVID happened. Um, and I was totally devastated because uh, actually that was my senior year. So I was a senior and I was like, kind of like banking on this project going because I don't want to say you don't want to graduate and not have anything going on, but it is really hard to get seen. And it's really hard to break into this business because there is just so, there are so many talented people. That's just the truth. I mean, I have so many friends who are just unbelievably talented and, and they're ha having the hardest time and they live here and they're auditioning and it's, it's tough. And so I was really upset about COVID um, as a, were a lot of people. Uh, and they said to us, you know, because, this happened, we're going to do a concept album and we're all going to record from home and we're going to do demos and like whatnot. So we 
put the entire show on an album. Um, they're just demos that we all did from our closets. And then Andy went and mixed them all together. Um, and that was that as far as I knew. And that was like toward the end of 2020. That was like, that was like December of 2020. Um, so at this point we'd gone like the whole summer, whatever. And I get a call from Andy. I think like in May or June of 2021. Hey Morgan. Um, are you busy in September? And I'm like, I mean, no, like why? Like what's going on? And he's like, well, like I played the album for John and like he heard you singing and he was like, I really want her to sing with us at Farm Aid. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so I freaked out because like it's John Mellencamp. And um, I had the best time. I was really nervous at first because, you know, like he's been singing this stuff for years and I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um and why so I, I went to Indiana, I spent a week in Indiana and I rehearsed with the band and it was just, a, it was a total blast. I really got to know him and everybody um, and his team and and it was just great. And then we did Farm Aid and I was like, there's 30,000 people here. Like what? <laughs> um and he was so gracious. I mean, he let me sing like the first verse of Pick Houses, was a, which was a huge deal. And he let me like do a lot. He just let me do so much, which it didn't. He never made me feel like I was like just standing there backing him up. I really felt like we were like a team. Um, and I appreciated that. And um, yeah, I mean, he's so great. Yeah, I'm a character for sure. I, I saw him last year, and of course, it's John Mellencamp, so people let, let him do things that maybe he shouldn't. Of course, all these venues are, are non-smoking. He's still up there smoking like a chimney. Um, he is taking his cigarettes you know, in between, in between lyrics and throwing them on the, the side of the stage when he's done, which is interesting. But <laughs> a couple things about that. One is... And this is kind of the funny thing I mentioned earlier, but did they tell you to be back there, you know, super smiley, energetic, and happy? Because you're just back there beaming. That's kind of what made me reach out to you, just seeing you back there, just enjoying yourself. So did they say that, or are you just having, uh, you know, a great time? Oh, no, I'm having the best time. But I love being on stage. So, uh, I mean, I was really, really happy to be there and and. Yeah, I'm just very grateful that they gave me that opportunity. So, yeah, I'm very fond memories of Farm Aid, very fond memories of John and yeah. and Andy and, and Troy. And yeah. Yeah. Last question I want to ask you about that is because obviously John Mellencamp is a legend. He's amazing, but he does have a, a distinct voice. He does have a distinct sound with you being a, a you know trained singer and somebody who does it you know, professionally on stage and can, can make your voice a lot of different things. How do you, how do you make yourself fit into, I guess, his, his genre? How do you make yourself kind of fit into his sound? Because it is a different sound. I mean, he's a legend, but it is kind of a, you know, a a gritty, rough sound. So, I mean, it's kind of a strange question, but how do you make sure as somebody who is a great singer, um, how do you make sure that you fit in and you, don't do what is possible, which is kind of maybe out singing the, uh, the star. That's a good question, actually. Um, so I, I, I am trained, but I'm not as trained as like, 
I wouldn't consider myself a super trained singer. I definitely like grew up listening to a lot of rock and roll, like, you know, the Beatles and like Bob Dylan and, and the Stones and, and um, I've always really admired, like, especially that eighties, like rock rocker chick sound like Pat Benatar or like heart, you know, um, that big, like kind of, I almost Joan Jett, like smoky, smoky sound. Um, and it's not that I like, always have that but I think when working with him he was like you just have to be like he did say to me he's like just go up there and like be like like not like I I can't put it into words which is bad for a podcast um just like chill like just like chill and like laid back (laughs) I mean that's that's kind of his whole thing just chill and not really give a crap about much of anything just that I'm here this is me that's it I think, and this is like, this goes further than the John Mellencamp camping. I think like the hardest part of like performing is being, just being like, I'm here. And I also think the music informs, informs how you sing. I don't think like, I don't think like I would sing. I mean, I don't sing in Bad Cinderella the same way I sing with John or I don't sing in Bad Cinderella the same way I would sing in, you know, a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, even though they're still musicals, the genres are different. Um, and so I think honestly, the music informs the way you sing. Um, and what I really like about my voice truly is that I feel like I can sing a lot of different genres, um, because I don't consider myself just like one kind of singer. Mm. Um, and so with John, um, it was one, like, he was like, look, you're here, just do it. You know, (laughs) amazing. So obviously we've talked a lot about, you know, everything early in your career. We talked about John Mellencamp. We talked about the movie. We talked about the reality scene competition, all these things. I want to kind of take us to present day. You know, you're doing a lot of rehearsing now. You're in a Broadway play, which is amazing. Tell us just a little bit about, uh, you know, that, that musical. Tell us a little bit about Bad Cinderella. Yes, of course. So Bad Cinderella is a twist on Cinderella. Um... Cinderella, it's a brand new, brand new book, uh, brand new script, sorry, we call it a book, um, and brand new music. Andrew Lloyd Webber is the composer. The book is written by Emerald Fennell, who is um, like an Oscar winning writer. <clears throat> and the, the lyrics are by David Zippel, who did Hercules, Mulan, um, et cetera, et cetera. So the show um, basically it has your regular characters. It has Cinderella and the queen and the prince and, and the stepsisters. I'm one of the stepsisters um, and the stepmother and the godmother. Um, And she is kind of the rebel. The town we live in is called Belleville and it is like a town of beauty being perfect. And Cinderella is like edgy and weird basically is the idea. And she's different. And she feels pressured to she she doesn't want to feel pressured, but basically, ultimately, she kind of feels pressured to change herself and then realizes at the end, like, it's better to be yourself and um, stick to who you are as opposed to changing to fit society's beauty standards. Um, and that's like a very, very, you know, broad overview because I don't want to ruin things. But, um, you know, she's kind of a menace. Like, she spray paints the statue and she, like, does all of these, like, things and and when when it, it is a comment on you know our beauty standards and kind of how we show ourselves on social media and in the world and how appearances have really become everything in a world where things are so easily found on your fingertips so it's so important 
you know, how you're perceived. And um, that's kind of at the core of what the show is. It's a comment on how it's better to be true yourself than conform to all of these, you know, beauty standards. Mm. Um, but but it's really a fun show. I think like I want to nail home that like it's very, very fun. It's bright. It's colorful. It's giving your classic musical. The costumes are stunning. Mm. Um, I play Marie who is one of the two stepsisters. She is the wittier, sassier, sexier sister um, who is is um, still mean, but she is also like kind of an outsider in her own home. She's not the favorite stepsister. And, you know, toward the end of the show, that kind of comes out and um, kind of comes out to the end of the show. She she has a great arc, which I love about her. Um, and, you know, she's navigating the world as much as everybody is, but you don't really see it until the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a lot like real life, which is cool. Um, but it's so beautiful. And I really, I, I cannot believe this is my professional theater debut, my Broadway debut. Like, I'm, I still am in shock every day. Like I go to the theater. I'm just, I'm so happy to be there. Um, the creative team has been so unbelievable. The crew has been unbelievable. The, you know, everyone is just fantastic. Um, and I can't nail that point home enough because I don't, from what I can gather, because I've asked a lot of people like this show and the chemistry everybody has is very special. Mm -hmm. So I'm just very happy that this is how I start my like Broadway career. Yeah, I love that. And that's what I was going to ask, you know, with your Broadway debut, we talked about how, you know, the the person from Hercules is is in it. We're talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber. What's it like, you know, this first this first musical uh doing a doing one with uh just a, a bunch of no names attached to it? You know, it's funny. I think what's really cool is like you realize they're just people too. Like they are just normal people who want to create something as special as you do. Um, and I really think it's changed my like frame of mind. Again, I, we talked about this earlier, but there are moments you you really learn things. And I think presenting you as yourself in the room when you audition, they're looking for like you and what you can bring to the show. Um, they're not looking for you to be like a version of what you think they want. And I people have said this on so many podcasts and and it's it's like, feel like I'm a broken record here, but, but especially when you start to get into the room and create something, it really comes out that like, they just want you to try everything. They want you to try everything and see what sticks. I mean, even now, so the show is technically running and open to the public, but it hasn't opened to like, it hasn't had its official opening. So like today I'll go to the theater we will rehearse all day and change things and get notes for tonight's show that that will be new for tonight's show. Like they're new to the audience. They're new to us. They're they're new because we're still working through things. Once we open on March 23rd, we will not be changing things anymore. Mm-hmm. So this period, it's called previews. You know, we're still playing around. But like yesterday, like I was given like some notes and like the director's like, yeah, just try that. Like, just try that new blocking tonight. And I'm like. We haven't run anything, Um, but they just want you to like play around because like, I think it's kind of like, who cares? It's really like, who cares? Which has been a really interesting experience because it's so easy to get in your head about 
like what people are thinking. And everyone on our show was like super incredible. Like our director would directed Les Mis and Miss Saigon and, and School of Rock on Broadway. You know, our choreographer has like choreo- I think she's choreographed like 20 Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Our our music uh director our conductor and music director, I think this is her 16th Broadway show. She's like the international music director for Phantom of the Opera. Like, but they all just want to have a good time. And it's, it, that's really cool. It's, it's weird though. Cause you're like, you look up to the people like that and then you're like in a room with them and you're like, now that's gotta be amazing for sure. And you know, what was it like? Because you talked about how, you know, being in this business, you've done a lot of different auditions a lot of different things so what was it like when you realized that uh, you know this was it that you were going to uh, to book this role and you were going to be on Broadway so I I remember my final callback pretty pretty vividly um it was a really busy day I was also in callbacks for another show so I literally was auditioning all day from 10 to 6 I was auditioning and my Cinderella callback was in the final callback was in the middle of the day and I walked in and there were like 30 people in the room because all of these people have to approve you. Um, but I kind of, I had a feeling that this was going to be it once I was there. I was like, this is it. This is like the show I'm and I'm going to be in this. And I wasn't really nervous and they don't tell you on the spot. But I remember walking out and three people who had been in the room with me came up like three of the like producer the that side of the table the business side of the table and the creatives came up to me and they said they they said like oh my gosh you were so good or oh my gosh you are so funny like you just make me like laugh or like congratulations and I'm like congrats for what like do you know something I don't (laughs) and um two weeks later I got the call And I was like, I was so I mean, we it was during this was still kind of during COVID. This was 2022. It was the end of COVID. But in New York, like COVID feels like it's going on forever. Um, And and so I had had a bunch of jobs. I worked for a a tech company for a year and a half. I worked I, I was doing real estate. So I was literally on the way to a showing in real estate. I had just gotten off the subway on the Upper East Side and my agent calls me and she goes, well, I haven't heard anything. She was like, hey, babe, like, I just want to let you know, like, I haven't heard anything from the cruise line because I was in final callbacks for a cruise line. And I haven't heard anything from six. So I don't know what's going on there. And she's like, but where are you right now? And I was like, um, I'm in New York on the Upper East Side. Why? And she was like, well, I just hope everybody's ready because you're going to originate a role in an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical on Broadway. And I literally screamed and I fell to the ground. Uh, and that was that. That is so amazing. And and I want to kind of talk about your, your family and all this now. Earlier in the conversation, we talked about how your mom didn't want to drive you to auditions anymore because you weren't taking it seriously. And now this has all happened and you've made it to Broadway. What is your, what's your mom? What's your, what's your family think about all this? Well, okay. So I do have to preface it and say my mom is absolutely wonderful. And, and, um, she she was always willing to drive me if I was willing. Well, yeah, to. let's emphasize because you weren't taking it seriously enough. <laughs> it was all me. Yeah. Um, I so I called her. I was like, "Hey, do you have a second to FaceTime?" And I think she was at dinner, and I was like, "No, seriously, like I need you to focus." <laughs> um, because we we have the same energy. So like, if that tells you anything, like I was like, "I need you to focus, mom." Um, and she was like, "Okay, okay, okay, what?" And I was like, "Okay." So I haven't been sent a contract yet. But 
I'm going to be on Broadway. I'm going to be on Broadway in Bad Cinderella. And she was like, she literally didn't know what to say. She like started to cry like right then and there. She was like, what? I think she was literally in shock. Um, and she was so excited and she was, she was taken off guard. Cause I, for this one, I like didn't really want to tell her because I kind of had a feeling I was like, this feels like I'm going to get it. So I got nervous and I didn't want to, I don't like to hype my family up unless it, unless it's like a for sure thing. So I told her and like, I told my dad and I like told my grandma and like everyone, but I had to kind of keep it under wraps because we like didn't have the contract yet. And like, so it was, it was still nerve wracking. I was like, don't tell anyone, like don't tell anyone anything. Um, but I told the three of them and I told my brother, actually my brother was the first person I told because he also lives in the city and he was at work. And I was like, what are you doing at five? I need to come find you. And so I ran to see him and I was like, guess who's going to be on Broadway? And he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he was like, what? and I was like, yeah. And um, everyone has been so excited. I mean, I'm super close with my family. And so they have been incredibly, incredibly supportive. And um, I'm so lucky that they're there for me. Like, so lucky. And yeah. I love it. And is there a time, maybe you're still kind of running on adrenaline, but is there a time where it finally just hits you and you're like, whoa, you know, this is what I've tramped up, but <laughs> holy crap, now I have to, to actually do it. And it kind of gets terrifying or, or does that not happen to you? So, so there were two like specific emotional moments that I remember, um, actually three, well, two, three. So the first, so there's a transformation in the show. Um, and this was during tech. Um, and we tech on stage so that like the lighting can be focused and the sound and everything. And the girl that plays Cinderella came out and did her tra like transformation. And I just, I was sitting like in the middle of the orchestra watching and I like just started to cry because the show is truly a spectacle and they don't, it, it feels like a classic Broadway show in this, in like with the costumes and the set and the lighting, you know, and the big cast and and it, they really don't make that many new shows like this anymore. And so I was like, wow, I cannot believe that like, this is it. So I just started to ball. It, the other, t uh, the two other times I really had adrenaline or like had an emotional moment where the very first time we stepped on stage, the first day of tech, I just like stepped out and I was like looking around at everything and I turned to one of the, one of the um, creatives and I was like, I just like, can't believe I'm here. I said all of those moments and, and it, anyone who's like been in the arts or really anything, like all of those moments where you feel really alone for chasing your dream or when people are telling you you can't, or they're making fun of you or you're in high school and like, you're the theater kid who like has no friends. Um, and you're sitting alone and you're like sitting in the, you know, theater alone and you're like depressed because you don't have friends and people think you're like weird. Um, it was worth it for that moment. And I started to like, I was like sobbing because you never think it's going to happen to you. Um, and it makes those moments of really working hard and being lonely worth it. And then the last time I cried or not cried, but the, the first time we had an audience, I was so nervous. My adrenaline was through the roof. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Once the, once the curtain opened and we got through the opening number, I was fine. But like standing, waiting, waiting to go. I was like, yeah. I'm shaking. Um, and yeah, yeah. 
I, I love it. And I guess the, the coolest part is, you know, it's something to be said. And it's amazing to join, you know, establish play and take on a role that you know has been beloved for, for years and years and years and, and do something like that. But there's something to be said and something so amazing about forever being able to be, you know, the founding artist, the, the first person that ever played a role in a Broadway play. Um, that, that has to be amazing. So, so how does that feel? There are no words for how that feels. <laughs> I, I don't quite know if that moment has, has hit yet because, you know, like a lot of people, I keep saying this, but it, it's, it's one thing to like work professionally. It's another thing to work on Broadway professionally. It's another thing to be a lead on Broadway. And then it's another thing to be an original role in a new musical. Like for me, this is, I my dream roles were Eliza or Angelica and Hamilton and Elphaba and Wicked. Those two, like I'm dying to play. They're they're not original anymore. But like those, I would like, I, I could die happy if like those were like the roles. And I, of course, everybody wants to originate a role on Broadway, but you don't think you're like, that is so... That, that for me is like almost better than winning a Tony, right? Because like a Tony is an award and like, but like I am literally forever in time this part. And when kids do it in school or when it goes on tour, like I'm the blueprint. And that is wild. It's wild to me. Um, it really hasn't hit me yet. Yeah, that, that's it's, it's, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing because I'm pretty sure you've even done it once in this interview where, Forever, I mean, I feel like that's going to be attached to your name. Didn't you introduce somebody earlier as the original Belle? Yeah. Forever, that's what you. you that's going to be attached to your name. So that's got to be really, really awesome. Yeah, it's 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 um, it's crazy. So now we talk about all the amazing parts. You know, I, I think that's a, a good good look at all the awesome parts. But what's maybe some of the not so great parts that you found now of being part of a Broadway play because I'm sure it, well, musical, but I'm sure that there's not, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. So to be honest with you, we've been very, very fortunate in this process that it has been very like easy. It doesn't, I never feel like, Oh my God, I like don't want to see that person or Oh my God, there's drama or Oh my, it do really doesn't feel that way. The one thing I would have to say like that I that I didn't really like anticipate, but that people did say was going to happen is that I'm really tired. Uh, <laughs> um, the preview period is just difficult because we have rehearsal during the day and then a show at night or the weekend. We have two shows on a Saturday and, you know, we will have two shows on Saturday and we will have two shows on Wednesday when we open, but we won't also have rehearsal um, unless we need to have it for some reason to put somebody in or, or whatever. And so I think right now the hard thing is like life balance. So it's like taking care of myself while also like, you know, when I come out of the stage door, like making sure that I give attention to the people that came to the show, like signing autographs, you know, making the time for my friends and family who flew here to see the show. Um, but also like reminding myself, like, Maybe I don't need to stay out until one in the morning after finishing a show at 11, just because, you know, my, my aunt and my like aunt's best friend are in town. Like, I just think like those are, and, and making sure I sleep is big. Um, I think you don't really, you know, I like to go to the gym 
But sometimes like I don't need to go to the gym and do like spend 10 hours at the theater running up and down stairs in heels and dancing. You know, I think sleep is really important. And so I've really had to like shift that um, because it's, it is easy to get fatigued. Um, you don't realize you're getting fatigued until you're fatigued. Um, and so like, honestly, this has just hit me this week. So that's why I'm speaking about it. Um, really just taking care of yourself, stretching before you go on stage, um, rolling out, remembering that like your body is your instrument. And like, if you get sick or if you sprain something or twist something, you're out. Um, and, and that is all new because this is new for me. Mm, yeah, that make that makes sense. So the next question you gave me, I don't really know what it is. So tell us about your quick change. What what, what is that? What is, what is quick change? Okay. Yes, this is just something fun that like happens in the show. So I wanted to talk about it because it, you know, it's just something that happens in the show, and I thought it might be fun to share. Sure. Um. So, and I don't even know if this is interesting, but I was like, maybe. <laughs> I mean, you're setting it up so strong. I don't even know if it's cool, but well, it's really cool. So, so, so there's a moment in the show where, like, I have all of this like crying makeup on my face. It's like it's like black makeup. It's like you know when someone cries and they have like the black under eyes. What? So <laughs> I don't know why I included this. So I have this black under eye makeup, and I have to run off stage and change really fast, and then come back on in a different outfit, in a different like with different makeup on. And I just thought it's. If for anyone who's listening who's into theater, like what's interesting is like what happens behind the scenes, which is like literally I run off stage. Um, I have somebody like wiping my makeup off my face, someone changing me, and then somebody putting makeup on my face and getting me back out in like two minutes. So mm -hmm. it's 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 a sport. And that's all I wanted to say. Theater is a sport. Oh, Don't you yeah. forget it. Yeah, I mean, I think that was cool. You know, I think the other thing you got to think about is when you're back there, you have to have somebody else doing all this stuff for you because if you're the one doing all of it, you're going to get back on the stage huffing and puffing. So <laughs> I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you talked earlier about, you know, the theater junkies and, and those who, you know, aspire to, to get on the stage, get on Broadway, get in plays and, and musicals and things like that. So... What advice do you have to to those who aspire to to get to where to where you are? Um, you know, of course, we talked about how it's a grind, so I'm sure that's a huge part of it. Just just sticking it out and and persevering. But but what advice do you have for those? Of course. Um, so yes, I'm going to reiterate that it is a grind. Um, you have to love it, even when it doesn't love you back. Mm. Um, and you can't expect things to happen overnight. I have a lot of friends who are like, well, I went on three auditions and like, I didn't hear anything. So like, I don't know if I can do this. And it's like, I've been auditioning for such a long time. It's about like chipping a little bit off of that ice block every single time. It's about, you know, making the connections, really being personable in the room. Um, I really do want to re reiterate that it is about being yourself. I think the right role will fit you when it comes along. It's very corny. Um, I look at things and I'm like, when they're cast a lot of the time, and I'm like, I see, I see what they were going for, and it wasn't me. Mm. Um, I also think being able to recognize the way people perceive you is important um, in terms of roles. Like, I don't see myself playing mean girl roles. Mm. Everything I've ever booked has been mean or sassy. 
I don't see it. I want to play like the edgy, like outcast girl, but people don't see me like that. People see me as the like either the bubbly girl or sassy girl or, or the mean girl. And so I think that like realizing how people see you and how you come into the room is important. I have a, a good, good, good friend, super talented, super amazing, gorgeous, wants to play all these nerdy boy roles. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, no. Um, and look, that's what acting is, right? Like acting is being another person, but I also think you have a set of givens you can't change. Right. Um, and you have to like acknowledge that those are your givens. Um, I have so much advice and I'm no pro. I just, if you really want to do it, you have to realize it's not going to happen overnight and you have to keep going and you have to practice. And this is actually good. While you are pursuing it, find something else to do to like supplement income mm -hmm. that you are also passionate about. It doesn't have to be artistic just because like you sing or you like write or you you want to whatever you want to do. You don't need to like sing at a jazz bar like seven nights a week because like, you know, I did real estate. It really helped me because it helped me feel like I was in control of something. I was running my own business. I was taking clients out, you know, and it made me feel like I could walk into an audition room and be like, this is me because all day I'm like trying to sell property. Mm -hmm. So the, the two aren't, don't go in hand in hand, but like weirdly enough, I think that when I started doing real estate, it made me more confident as an actor because I wasn't, you know, the skill of walking up to a stranger and presenting a product, which is basically the same as auditioning, was was something I was doing every day unintentionally. And so I think like doing something, you know, you don't have to wait tables to like to supplement your income. You can find something else you like want to do um, or like that piques your interest, you know, I don't know. Oh, absolutely. I think that's all really, really good advice. So you know, throughout this interview, we've talked about a lot of amazing things you've done, whether it's film acting or backup singing, of course, Broadway, musicals. What's your favorite medium? What's your, your favorite part of, of the entertainment world? What's your favorite thing to, uh, I guess, to, to be a part of? I think, I think my favorite is theater. I think I I just there's something about being able to like put a character on every night and play around with that character. And every time somebody sees that show, it could be their first Broadway show. It could be their last Broadway show. You don't know. And so you don't know what they're celebrating you. And so like you are having an immediate impact on that person's life in a moment that's fleeting. Um, I think film is also interesting. I think like as a as a long term it's probably like more sustainable um, just because you're not, you're not doing it every day. It's a different muscle though. You know, you're, you're, you on in, in, in theater, you know, once that show opens, like that's your baby, like as an actor in film, you're, you're one piece of like a greater puzzle. You know, you have the director, you have the editor, you have the sound mixer. And it's not like these people don't exist in theater, but once the show in theater is set, the director has an associate that stays on the project, but like it's your baby as the actor. And in film, you the editor makes kind of the final cut of how the, you look on the camera. Mm. Um, and so I think like the mediums aren't really like comparable, but I think in terms of like life, I want to do theater forever. I would love to do more film just because I think it's a nice muscle to exercise. 
Um, and, you know, who knows? Like, as I get older, I think, like, doing film is better just because, like, you're not dancing eight eight shows a week and running up seven flights of stairs. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've talked to other people in this kind of world between acting and, and theater, and it's an interesting thing that, you know, you don't really think about how it is a totally different muscle. It is a totally different thing where even if you look at, at like, crying, you know, when you're theater, you're up on a stage and, and to portray, you know, that, that sorrow, you have to be a lot more expressive and, and you know, intense with it, where if you cried in the same way in a, in a film, you'd look like a, a nut. So I wonder, is are you always going to want to kind of exercise both muscles? Is it something that you eventually hope that you're only doing theater, or that you're only doing film, or, or where are you at when it comes to, to that? I honestly want to try to do both like simultaneously I think like once the show is like running and and doing well um I want to I mean I hope I start to get back into auditioning soon I haven't because I've been so busy but I hope that I will be able to as um the show really starts to settle because usually things shoot in the day and so you can like shoot in the day and then at night you can you can do the show um and ideally that would be what I do it's always, you're always working. You're always working for the next job, even if, even if you are, have a job, um, because that's, that is the job. The auditioning is the job. The right. fun part is like the job. <laughs> I, I gotcha. Yeah. So you already talked about previews and, and maybe the general public's already coming to those, but talk about how people can, can come out and see this play, how they can get tickets and, and everything else. I believe I, you can go. So there are a few places you can get tickets. If you live in New York City, I would say go to the box office, um, buy tickets from the box office directly. If you do not live in New York City, you can go to badcinderella.com. I think I'm checking to make sure it's bad Cinderella. <laughs> I don't sound like that. I promise I sound better. Um, bad Cinderella Broadway is the um is the website, badcinderellabroadway.com. Um, there is a button at the top to get tickets. And um, that is where you can buy tickets. There are shows every night except for Monday. And, oh, am I glitching? Yeah, because there's too much running on my computer. But you can go there every night, every night to get tickets, um, except for Mondays. Mondays, we do not have a show. And Sundays, we have a show, but the show is 2 p.m. So I would just go there. Or the box office. Mm. Google Bad Cinderella Broadway. Go to our Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. Yeah, so so badcinderellabroadway.com. Um, that's where they can find this. Shout out all your connection points where they can find you. Whether And I want you to shout them out. So you said you said Amazon's where they're going to find these Disney movies. <laughs> and then where are we going to find you on Instagram and all that kind of stuff too? Okay, you can, yeah. So, so you can find some of my past film work on Amazon. You can find Lost in the West there, which is the Nickelodeon movie. You can find something we did not talk about, which is Mr. Student Body President, which is also a, a series that I'm in um, on Amazon. You can find um, me, you can find some of my old videos on YouTube, um, Morgan Higgins. And um, you can follow me on Instagram at Morgan Higgins. It's M-O-R-G-N-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S-S because Morgan Higgins without the extra letters was taken. Mm -hmm. And you can follow me on TikTok where I occasionally post on it's 
it's Morgan Higgins. Um, and that is just spelled like it sounds. And I don't have a Twitter because I never got into it. I don't know why. So that was Morgan Higgins. What an amazing person. I, I learned so much from her. Let's get my apologies out of the way. Right at the beginning when it comes to the, the sound, you know, I, I I warned you in the beginning, there's a few parts where, you know, when we're talking back and forth quickly, it's hard to obviously re-record those. There's a few times that maybe you hear that clicking. It sounds like, you know, I'm in that, in the next room with a sewing machine, um, just clicking away, making all those costumes. So just use your imagination and that's, that's what it is. But uh, I re-recorded quite a bit of it, so... Hopefully you uh, you were able to, to handle the, the few moments of, of, of maybe a, a little bit of not great audio. So that was a sad thing. Um, let's talk about kind of the, the next thing that's not so great, that's a little sad, and that is uh, I interviewed Morgan a few months ago, um, and you know she was right about ready to, to start the play, that she was you know in previews, and it was about ready to start. Well, it has started now. Um, like I said, Angie Lloyd Webber play, amazing. Um, but it actually was announced this past week that the play will be closing. Um, it'll be ending in early June. So that's no fun. You know, we Morgan talked about how, you know, the job of being a Broadway person is the auditioning. And the actual being in a play is the fun part. So... Unfortunately, she's going to have to go back to that uh, that, that job and, and start auditioning again, but I have no doubt that she's going to book something just as amazing. Um, but in the meantime, if you, uh, if you get out there before early June of 2023, you can still catch Bad Cinderella. The tickets are still available. Um, if you're listening to this before June, uh, I believe fifth of 2023. You can you'll see a link in the show notes to uh, to the tickets. After that, I will remove that. Um, but I urge you to go check it out. You know, there's not a lot more time to to see it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't want to I don't want to discount her accomplishments. You know, the reason I didn't mention it in the very beginning of of these this intro, if you you know if you weren't up on Broadway news already and, and knew it. Uh, is because you know, this is still such an amazing thing. Even if it didn't last very long, it's still absolutely amazing. You know, I, I read a statistic that you know the union that represents these uh, these stage actors uh, only one percent of the entire union ever does a play on Broadway, and even less actually originate a part. So, the accomplishment of Morgan is just is just a huge one. Um, which you know she should be commended for. I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, if the audience didn't didn't receive it well, or or you know for for whatever reason uh, it wasn't filling up, that's that's no uh, no fault of Morgan because I uh, it looks looks it looks awesome. So I I know Morgan it will land on her feet and just do something awesome. This is just the beginning. Um, I'm I'm excited that I was able to talk to her before all of those, you know, those Tonys and Oscars and Grammys just start pouring in. So uh, I urge you to check out the play uh, before June. Um, I urge you to check out Morgan, see what her next stages and next steps are after that. Um, all the links will be in the show notes to the play for a little while and then to her personal Instagram um, as well. Check those out. 
support Morgan in, in whatever way that you can. Uh, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, appreciate you being here. I promise the sound quality is normally better. Um, but uh, I, I showed that commitment today that uh, do the best I can when, when things go wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, if this is your first time listening, do follow along on Instagram as well. Not in a podcast. Go on jacksnuff.com. Um, go to Not Enough with Jackson Huff's Facebook page. Lots of ways to follow along. Uh, if you don't mind, go on, leave that five-star review on Apple and on Spotify. Leave a written review on Apple. Even more amazing. But uh, if you do nothing else, catch us again next week. Really appreciate you being here. Appreciate Morgan. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.